Well, church, as we continue our journey to the cross through the lens of Mark's gospel, let me invite you to open the scriptures with me once again to the gospel of Mark. We in Mark chapter 14 this morning, beginning in verse 32. Have you ever been absolutely exhausted uh, and yet you couldn't sleep? After a full day this past uh, Wednesday, I felt a little bit like that when my head finally hit the pillow about 11 p.m. that night. The alarm would go off early Thursday morning, 4 a.m., and Ashley and I would be on our way to the hospital to welcome uh, a new baby into our family. And of course, all the joys and challenges that accompany such a life-altering event. As I laid there uh, late Wednesday night, Uh, I then realized and remembered that this baby boy had not yet secured uh, a name. Tired, but couldn't sleep. In our passage of Scripture for today, uh, Jesus is tired, but he cannot sleep. In fact, he is absolutely exhausted from the series of events and encounters that must have unfolded in recent hours and days. And yet he is overwhelmed with what he's about to face and he cannot sleep. His friends, his disciples who have been accompanying him on such events in the recent hours seem to have the opposite issue. They are exhausted and cannot stay awake. But here is Jesus and his disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane on the eastern side of Jerusalem on the slope of the Mount of Olives and Jesus Uh, begins to come to grips with what he is about to face. The cross becomes real to him. Jesus has known all along what lies ahead, but now the overwhelming nature of what he is about to experience becomes real. Let's look at how he responds. So as you find your place there in Mark chapter 14, let me invite you to join me standing for the reading of God's word. Mark 14, beginning in verse 32, the Bible uh, reads this way. They, speaking of Jesus and his disciples, went to a place called Gethsemane. And Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. Stay here and keep watch. Going a little farther, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? Couldn't you keep watch for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing But the flesh is weak. Once more, Jesus went away and prayed the same thing. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. They did not know what to say to him. Returning the third time, he said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Enough. The hour has come. Look, the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. Let's bow in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the message uh, that it 
communicates. Father, we thank you that your spirit is with us even now, guiding us, convicting us, encouraging us. May that be true in our lives now as as we interpret and apply your word to our lives. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Church, you may be seated. Well, the Bible teaches, teaches here and, and elsewhere, the Bible teaches that at the cross, Jesus absorbed God's wrath for us. At the cross, the cross of Calvary, the central image of our faith, of the Christian faith, at the cross, Jesus absorbed God's wrath for us, His judgment, His anger over sin. Jesus absorbed this for us. You see, the cross is more than simply a nice gesture of Jesus. Uh, It's more than uh, merely cruel punishment carried out by bloodthirsty Romans. It is more than simply uh, the the preferred sentence of the religious elite in Jesus' day who felt threatened and jealous over the theologically disruptive message of Jesus. The cross is about God's relationship to humanity. A once perfect relationship characterized by submission and obedience and fellowship. It's been, dis- it's been destroyed and disrupted uh, by the rebellion of creatures against their maker. And church, this revolt continues. This revolt that, that we participate in continues day by day from generation to generation, offending disrupting, destroying right relationship with God. And the incredible response of God to this is the cross. Sending a substitute to absorb the wrath that we deserve. Jesus, as you know, is that substitute. Fully God and fully human the only one to never revolt against the Father, the only one to live a perfect life, a sinless life, thereby enabling Him to be willing and able to go to the cross in our stead. Here in the garden, Jesus is coming to grips with what He's about to endure, and the weight of God's wrath horrified Him. The weight of of God's wrath that He is about to take on, that He is about to absorb, that He is about to experience in our place horrifies Jesus. In fact, Mark says right here that Jesus, in verse 33, was deeply distressed and troubled. The adjectives here describe Jesus as being astonished. He's being overwhelmed. Sickened by what he is about to endure. In fact, Jesus tells us, recorded in verse 34, that his soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. The nausea that you feel when you hear the news that you've lost a loved one, that may begin to get at what Jesus is feeling here, what he is experiencing here. Jesus, who has been resolute, who has been unshaken, who has been determined up until this point, now suddenly is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death at what he is about to experience. And Jesus' struggle here is, is somewhat unique. In fact, historical records reveal that many Christians throughout the centuries have faced persecution and even death, have faced martyrdom, 
more calmly and seemingly more courageously than Jesus is right here. And one example will suffice. Polycarp, who was the bishop of Smyrna in the second century, was uh, arrested and sentenced to be burned at the stake for his witness uh, to the gospel, for his proclamation of the message of salvation in Jesus. And Polycarp, before his magistrate, before the official that was about to carry out this uh, act, gave him an opportunity to recant his, his faith one final time. And this is how Polycarp uh, responded. He looked at the official and he said, The fire you threaten burns but an hour and is quenched after a little. But why do you delay? He said, Come and do what you will. Historical records reveal that many others, perhaps countless other men and women who follow Jesus throughout the centuries have faced death with such resolve, with such determination, with such boldness, with such courage. So why Jesus' deep distress here? You see, Jesus is about to endure what no other believer has ever endured. More than physical suffering. Jesus is overwhelmed with emotional and psychological and spiritual anguish that coincides enduring the wrath of God. See, on the cross of Calvary, the Father abandons the Son. For the fullness of God's wrath is the absence of relationship with Him. And the relationship that you and I were created to enjoy with with God mirrors the relationship that the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit have enjoyed together from eternity past and will forever enjoy, but a relationship that on this day, in this moment, is about to be severed. Jesus knows this. Church, the testimony of Jesus Christ reveals that God's wrath is certain. His wrath is certain. This is a, a component of our faith, a component of the Christian faith that's under attack today, and not so much from outside, but from within, from within the walls of the church, as many preachers and teachers will uh, stand up and proclaim that this is not uh, a central tenet of our faith, contrary to what the Scriptures teach. The Bible calls us as believers to reject such false teaching and to contend for the faith that was once and for all entrusted to God's people. Jude, verse 3. We believe in a loving God, not a wrathful God, so the argument goes. But what I hope we see from the Scriptures today is that these two truths are not mutually exclusive. In fact, His wrath coincides with His love. The wrath of God coincides with His love. These things are not exclusive. Just three days ago, my family welcomed a new baby boy. Elias Parker Jones was born at 7.18 on Thursday morning. I think we have a picture of him, which you can see on the screen. This is baby uh, Elias. And I have to make a confession this morning. This picture here uh, is deceiving. Not in terms of uh, his cuteness, he really is that cute. That is him. But as you probably know, this sweet little boy is going to grow up 
And he is not always going to act uh, as sweet and innocent as that picture there portrays. You parents know this. You others who have been around children, you, you know this to be, to be true. I've got other children. I have another son. He too used to look like that. <laughs> I know. But even so, church, even so, I love Eli. As his father, I want the very best for him. And if anyone ever attempts to harm him, I will be angry with him. Just as you are when someone attempts to harm your loved ones, I will be angry over whatever, even if it's him, harms him. And likewise, church, our maker wants the very best for us. And He knows that the very best thing for us is to be in relationship with Him. And sin hinders that relationship with Him. Sin, our sin, interferes, disrupts, destroys that perfect relationship that we were created to enjoy with our Maker for all of eternity. And for this reason, God plans the cross. He longs for us to have the very best. He longs for us to be in perfect relationship and harmony with Him. And this longing leads to the cross. God planned the cross out of love for us. He he planned the cross out of love for us. We've been journeying through Mark's gospel. And as we've seen here that in Mark's gospel, timing is everything. Everything happens in God's perfect timing. As this story unfolds, Jesus reveals his identity. He reveals his mission in God's perfect timing. At the right hour. If I can look back at Mark chapter 14, verse 35, we read, Going a little farther, Jesus fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Verse 41, returning the third time, Jesus said to his disciples, Are you still sleeping and resting? Enough! The hour has come. Look, the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. See, the cross is is God's plan and it is happening in the perfect way in His his perfect timing. Certainly, the religious rulers have grown to hate Jesus. And now Judas, one of His disciples, one of His friends, is betraying Jesus. But let's not be fooled. God is in control here. This is unfolding in the way that He promised and predicted and planned from before the foundation of the world. In fact, hold your place in Mark chapter 14 and turn to the right a couple books to uh, the book of Acts, the New Testament book of Acts. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Acts chapter 2. Fast forward about 50 days or so from what's happening in Mark chapter 14. Another festival is being celebrated by the religious Jews, the festival and celebration of Pentecost. This is after Jesus has now been crucified. He's been raised from the dead. He's ascended right back to his rightful place, the right hand of the Father in heaven. And Peter stands up to preach. A friend and follower of Jesus stands up representing the disciples. He begins to preach the Gospels. He begins to speak of how these events, God's uh, plan, has culminated in the coming 
and the living and the dying and the rising of Jesus of Nazareth. So let's look at it. Acts chapter 2, verses 22 and following. Peter says, fellow Israelites, he says, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did among you through him as you yourselves know. Or as Peter says, this Jesus of Nazareth, he did all kinds of miracles. You saw this, you've heard of him. This was God's way of affirming that he is from God. He goes on verse 23 and hear this. He says, this man, this Jesus was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. He says, and you with the help of wicked men put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, uh, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. See, the cross is the plan of God. It is a display of the incredible love that God has for His creatures. Love that leads Him to assume the lowly position of creature. Ultimately, in order to become our substitute, to go to the cross in our place, on our behalf. This is God's plan, for He is sovereign. Meaning He is in control. His will ultimately will be Accomplished, but not only is he is he sovereign, he is a God who cares. A God who cares deeply for us. A God who loves us unconditionally. The cross is a display of his unconditional love for us, despite our sin. It goes to the cross in our place. The cross, a portrayal of God's love and of the seriousness of his wrath. You see, if God's wrath was not real, there would be no reason for the cross. But apart from the cross, there is no salvation. Through the cross, there is life. There is abundant life. There is forgiveness of sins. There is salvation. There is reconciliation reconciliation with God. So, friends, let's turn from sin and self. Let's turn away from sin. Turn away from self. Life that's been called by us. It's all about us and our pursuits. Let's turn away from this and turn turn toward Jesus. See, Peter continues his message in Acts chapter 2. He continues boldly proclaiming the gospel. Continues telling his audience that they made a mistake, that they rejected the Messiah sent from God. And that there's a response that they need to participate in in order to make that right once again conveys that response in verses 38 and following. Peter said, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This is the promise for you and for your children. It's for all who are far off. It's for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he pleaded. Uh, he warned them and he pleaded with them, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. He said, repent and be baptized. Make this right. Repent. Turn away from sin. Be baptized. Identify with Jesus, the Savior. Turn from sin and self and turn then in faith toward the God who loves you. Church, this God loves you. He loves us. See His love. See the love of the eternal and just and holy and righteous and merciful God that is revealed on the cross 
of Jesus Christ. 1 John chapter 4, verse 10. John writes, This is love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. You see, true love is a love that, that acts. It's a love that is characterized by action. It's a love that undertakes something for those who are are loved. At the cross, Jesus displays the love of God by absorbing God's wrath for us. He goes to the cross in our place. He takes on what He doesn't deserve so that you and me and whosoever will repent and believe can experience what we do not deserve for all of eternity. Friends, this was the plan of the Father. Written before the foundation of the world, but not only was this the plan of the Father, this was also the desire of Christ Jesus the Son. For taking God's wrath, Christ displays His desire for us. Taking God's wrath on the cross of Calvary, Christ displays His desire for us. Mark chapter 14, verse 36. Jesus prays, He says, Abba, Father, everything is possible for You. Take this cup from Me. The cup, a metaphor for the wrath of God in Scripture. Jesus says, everything is possible for You, Father. Take this from Me. He goes on, He says, yet, yet not what I will, but what You will. Agonizing over the physical pain, the spiritual and emotional anguish that awaits Jesus. He submits to the will of the Father. He honors the wishes of His Father. Motivated by love for the Father, yes, but also motivated by His desire to save you and save me. You see, God planned the cross. But Jesus chose this path as well. John tells us this. John chapter 10, verses 17 and 18. Jesus said this. He says, The reason my Father loves me is that I, that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my Father. The author of the letter of Hebrews states it this way. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. The writer of Hebrews is writing to believers, encouraging them to remain faithful in the midst of persecution and hardship, to look to the example of Jesus. And he says, And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before Him, He endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down, at the right hand of the throne of God. Church of Jesus endured the cross, the shame of the cross, the turmoil and distress and sorrow of the cross, absorbing God's wrath for us, motivated by the joy that was set before Him. And that joy was the joy of saving you and me. Friends, at the cross, Jesus absorbed God's wrath from us, for us, from God, for us. 
and response. Let's turn from sin and self. Let's gaze upon his love. Let's see the incredible love that God has for us. And finally, let's receive his mercy. Receive his mercy. See, the cross is a gift. It's a message. It's a display of love. We're invited to either receive it in faith or reject it. Friends, let's be people who receive the gift of God's love. Let's turn to Christ. Let's trust in Him. Let's claim the gift and live for Him. And Father God, may it be so in our lives as your people known as Meadowbrook Baptist Church. Lord, may we be a people of faith who trust in you fully. Lord, who serve you faithfully, who turn and follow Jesus day by day, hour by hour, moment by moment, for all of eternity for your glory. Lord, we thank you for your mercy and your love. We thank you for the overwhelming display of your compassion, your grace, your undeserved mercy extended to us because you long for what is best for us. Lord, may we be gripped with the truth of the gospel today and respond accordingly and live for you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray and ask these things. Amen.